courage it takes for young ones to get up and do that. It takes a lot of courage for me to get up and sing. And they are doing wonderful. Thank y'all. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. You lovely ladies did a wonderful job. You handsome gentlemen uh, sang with uh, your heart also. And so we appreciate it. Come back with us. Be with us anytime. And anytime you want to come and sing, just let Miss Lynn know. We'll be glad to listen to some more of that good singing. Good. Glad to see all of you here this morning. I hope that you came uh, expecting a blessing because if you did, you already received one already. These kids here, they just did a tremendous job. And I'm not going to say that I'm going to bless you, but the Lord's message and His words and His scripture, if you listen with your heart, listen with your spirit, listen to what He has to say, the challenge that He lays before you, the encouragement that He has for you, and then being open all the way through to the very end, and then when he says, you know, now this is what I want you to do about all that you've heard this morning. And we respond to him and his word. And speaking of his word, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, go down to verse 40. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. We're going to read a passage of scripture here about Jesus and one of the events in Jesus' life. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 40. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitudes welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man, Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. And now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who has spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind, touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press, and you, and you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Father, bless us this morning as we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it amazing how sometimes when everything seems to be going in perfect in life, everything's going well, and all of a sudden something happens. Something happens that just steps in, something that interrupts your life, something that, that you have absolutely no control over. And when it happens, sometimes it, it, it robs us of our, of our certainty. You know, we, we, we live on certainty. We, we plan things. We do things. We, we plan vacations. If everything goes all right, I'm going to do this. You know, you've heard that. You say it yourself. If, I, if all okay next week, I'm going to do that. I'm going on vacation. I'm going here. I'm going to do that. And then something happens and you're not able to. So it takes away that certainty. That it's, it's like our life is based on provisions, provisional. It's providing everything is okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. Sometimes these things that happen to us, they, they diminish our hope. takes away the hope we have or, or they discourage our dreams. 
And it's things that, that we absolutely have no control over and it enters our life like it sneaks in like a, a burglar in the night and it touches every aspect of life. And sometimes it can rob us of our faith because we start to doubt and our faith seems to diminish. Now two of the biggest of these, and I'm sure there are more others, I was trying to think this one, you know, trying to think, okay, there's got to be more than just these two. But the two biggest today is the economy. You know, everything goes right. Everything seems to be going well. And all of a sudden, it, it stops. Everything happens. You know, I was thinking this week, back in the 70s when I had first got married and I was working and I was making, you know, I thought I was making, you know, pretty good. I was making about $12,000 a year. You know, that was pretty good money for an old country boy. Bought our first house, $157 a month house payment. Brand new house, split level. Bought my first automobile, and it was somewhere between $3,000 and $4,000. Well, automobiles now cost five times that. Ten times that. Houses cost 20, 30% higher than that. Or three, 20 or 30 times higher, not percent. But yet, what's the income? Maybe three times higher. The economy. It takes a lot out of us. And then another one, big issue, is health. You know, there was a time when you could do anything. There was a time I could play softball. There was a time that I, I played with, with, with uh, the other guys and we got out and we played tackle football with no pads, no helmets, no nothing. I mean, we hit hard and got up, whimpered a little bit because it hurt a little bit, but we didn't say anything. We just rubbed it off and went on back to play. I wouldn't try that now for nothing. <laughs> They'd be calling an ambulance to come and pick my body up. Age takes a lot out of us. Health takes a lot out of us. There was a time when you could just jump out of the bed and get ready to go, and now you've got to get up and get old arthritis unlimbered up. We didn't have that problem before. So see, it comes in and, and it interrupts our life. And, and, and so this is such a backdrop for the Scripture today. I want to pinch, picture three scenes for you. And this is called being desperate for a miracle. I want you to see, see three scenes. The first scene I want you to see is the crowd. This is a small town. I don't know if you've ever been from, if, are you from a small town? Now, you look at Titusville and say, well, compared to Orlando, we're a small town. Hey, I'm talking about a small town. I pastored Bowman, uh, Pleasant Grove Baptist Church in Bowman, Georgia. Bowman, Georgia is a four-way stop with a flashing red light. That's it. You go, two, you go two blocks to the south, you're out of town. You go toward, that's towards Elberton. If you go two blocks to this way, you're out of town. That's the road that takes you 30 miles down to Athens. You go to the right two blocks, you're out of town. That's going towards Hartwell, Georgia. And you go straight and you're going seven miles up there further, to Royston, Georgia, but you go two blocks, you're out of town. The police station is an eight-by-eight eight storage building sitting on the corner with a tray across there with a radio and the 
and, and, and the, you know, the police radio and the telephone. Eight by eight gazebo is the police station. One police car. That's small town. Did you know in a small town, everybody knows everybody's business? And we went to, got there one day. We got there a day early when we were going to this church. We were moving in, and we got there a day early because I anticipated overnight travel. And I figured it'd take that long, but when me and my wife got behind the car, me in the truck and her in the car, we decided not to stop. We pulled into the church. We were going to plan on trying to see what we could just pull out to sleep on for the overnight. Next thing you know, the yard's full of people. They saw us go through town. That must be the new preacher at the church. And so sure enough, in just a little bit, we were stepping out of the way. My little son, he was what, in the first, second, starting the second grade that year. He stood at the door and said, that goes in my room, that goes in her room, that goes in dad's room, that goes in the living room, that goes in the kitchen. And he was directing traffic. Next morning we got up, we decided to go to town. Went downtown, looked at that little Bowman town. Looked at the little gazebo police station and then right across from it was this little old covered shed where the older gentleman played checkers Sunday came around guess what we heard y'all traveled and took a tour of our town everybody knows everybody's business so here Jesus is coming into town his fame has trickled down through the people of his miraculous power and all that he said they heard about him kiss kicking out the demons and putting them in the swine and they run down in the river in the previous chapter. He, he, they've heard about the winds and the wave. Who is this man that, that, that nature obeys him? They had to gather to see what happened. So the crowd is gathering. Most of them are gathering out of curiosity. I've got to see this man who can do all of this stuff. Maybe I'll get the chance to see him do something miraculous. And I'm sure some of them came because they had problems and they were hoping they too could get a miracle of this, this miracle healer. So you got this crowd. And they're, and they're just crowding around and, and they're, they're, they're just, just you know, engulfing him. And, getting, you know, and, and you know how it is, if you've been to a parade, you know, and, and especially if you're a short person, which I've never had that problem, my wife does, but I don't have that problem. You can't see anything going on, you know. Everything. The crowd's so tight in there. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? He was one of them short people that couldn't see over, and it was kind of moving this way. He sees a tree. He goes down. Nobody's in it. He gets up in the tree, and he can see down on everybody now. That crowd is that tight around Jesus. So that's the first scene. You see this crowd of people, a mob almost like. And go to scene two. All of a sudden, you see a ruler of the synagogue, a man named Jairus. He's coming to Jesus, and as he's he's an important person. This crowd is is around Jesus, and as he comes walking through there, the crowd sees him, and it's almost like you know, open up. I mean, he's a ruler. He's 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 ruler of the synagogue. He's a at least a priest, maybe a high priest. Probably more than just a Pharisee, he is probably in the elite group of the Sanhedrin to be a ruler of the synagogue. And so the crowd just naturally peels open and he just goes through the crowd. So this man, Jairus, he comes to Jesus 
And he comes with an emergency. He's not coming for himself. He's coming on behalf of someone else. His only daughter is very ill and lies at the point of death. And he says to Jesus, please come. In desperation, he seeks Jesus' help for her. And Jesus now begins on that mission. He's starting now with Jairus to move towards the direction of Jairus. And so you see the crowds moving with him. As Jesus walks, the crowds walking and crowds walking. That's scene two. And then I want you to look at scene three. Something happens suddenly. Unusual. As this crowd is thronging around Jesus and Jairus, and as they are all sitting there crowded up, and as they're walking down, down the road... Through the legs comes a little withered arm, reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' robe. Oh, in desperation she comes. She's willing to risk everything. And when she touches him, everything stops. Jesus stops moving. Of course, when Jesus stops, Jerry has stopped and the crowd stops. And Jesus said, who touched me? Now, understand the disciples' question there. What do you mean? How can you? Look, this crowd is squeezing in. We can't hardly breathe. If you're claustrophobic, you're in trouble. It's just all crowded around, and you say, who touched you? He said, yes. Somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me from a touch. Who was it? Who did it? All that's pushing and shoving and surging around. And, and Jesus said, who touched me? How could he possibly isolate a single touch? But he did. Isn't it wondrous to know that it was a nobody? Jesus, disciples thought it could have been. Everybody thought it was a nobody. The disciples thought it could have been anybody. And Jesus said, no, it's a Somebody. Somebody. Touched me. And the woman realizes, uh oh, he knows. <laughs> he knows. Jesus, it was me. It was me. I came to touch you. And so she tremblingly comes before him. And now that's the direction that I want us to go. Who was she? We don't know. She was just a nameless person. It doesn't really matter what her name was or who she was or where she was from. It's enough to know that she has suffered for 12 years. And that's a long, long time. And she suffered with this. And she wants restoration. She wants healing. She's desperate. She must find this Jesus. She's heard about him. And strangely... Hearing about him, something comes to her and she realizes that I have got to get to this man. I have got to. She knows that he can do something. He can heal me. And the Gospels contain no better example of faith than what we find here. This unknown woman said that Jesus didn't need to know her, didn't need to acknowledge her, didn't even have to know she was there. He didn't have to speak to her. All, he had to do, all she had to do was touch. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9, 21, where she is preparing to go to it, he adds this verse, For she said within herself, If I may only touch his garment, I shall be made whole. 
And our text today shares the central thought, this unknown woman's faith. Faith. As we move beyond her illness, beyond her situation, beyond her crisis, let's look at her faith. Because her faith teaches us something very important, something worth thinking about. First, her faith reflects her perception of Jesus, how she sees Jesus. She knows that Jesus, there's something, there's something marvelous about Jesus. Not just the stories that she's heard, but something within her. There's something supernatural about Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. There is something supernatural about his love and his power. And she has tried, she's tried everything else. She's gone to every doctor, gone to every specialist. She's gone to every pharmacy and tried every prescription that there was available. And I'm sure at this point in her life, she has probably gone to every neighbor and all them, you know, them home remedies. Why, if you'll take a toad, a ward off the back of a toad, rub it on your, your stomach and then plant it in the ground 12 inches deep. Not 13 now and not less than 12, but 12 inches deep. On a full moon, you'll get up the next morning, you'll be better. Well, Hey, if nothing else works, I'll try. She's tried everything that she could think of. Now, I'm using some imagination there. You know that. That's not in the scripture. <laughs> I don't think that wouldn't in mine. She's tried everything, and nothing's worked. She's in despair. She's exhausted money. She's exhausted all of her resources. She's exhausted her time. She's exhausted everything, and she's desperate. And somehow, though, she knew Jesus has the resources that she needs. If I can only just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be made well. Wow, that's faith. That's faith with nothing else. And have that kind of faith in Jesus. She knows that Jesus' resources are available. And she believes that the resources that Jesus has are for her. So if she can just get there and if she can just reach out and touch him, she's going to make contact with those resources and she's going to be made well. That's faith. Not only did she know Jesus had the resources, but the resources Jesus has are for her. His grace is available to the least and the lowliest and she doesn't need to beg. She doesn't need to entreat. All she has to do is just somehow make contact, physical contact and touch him. And she believed his power would overflow at her very touch. That's faith. And on top of that, she believed that not only that he had the resources, and those resources were available for her, but she also knew that there was no barrier, nothing, that would keep her from being able to receive those resources. There's no barrier, no guilt, no shame, nothing. And you've got to realize... There's several things against her. First, she's a woman. In that day and age, you were property. That was it. Second, she was sick. She had an illness. And because of her condition, she was religiously, the religious leaders would have made her ceremonially unclean. That means she couldn't touch nobody and nobody could touch her. There was no, she was an outcast. She was ostracized. It was isolation from all human contact, family and friends and neighbors and anybody she come in, was around. And then she was completely shut off from worship of God. 
because she was shut out from the temple. She couldn't gather. And so she had a lot going, but somehow, even in her life being an unending existence for her. You know, and I've, I've seen people today that sometimes life for them just seems to be an existence. They're not really, they don't feel like they're really living, they're just existing. Well, that's the way she was feeling. Her life was an unending existence of isolation and loneliness. She was a nameless nobody who felt that she was worthless. She was no account. She was useless. You know, Jesus' encounter with her answers a big question. Am I worthless or worth something? Am I a nobody or am I a somebody? A lot of people face those questions every day. You may be here today thinking, that's me. She could not help but feel in all of this isolation that not only was she isolated from church, but she was isolated from her God. So there again, sometimes even our faith is filled with doubt. But, it, but that was not going to keep the love of God, the love of Christ from reaching her if she could just touch him. So she would see her perception of Jesus. This is the kind of faith we need to see today. There is within Christ power and the kissing, power in the blood. There is power in the blood. Yes, there's power in the blood. And there's power in the presence. You know, the power that Christ could fill this world with, with hope and open all kinds of wondrous possibilities. Wondrous. Our weakness, one of our weaknesses, our big, biggest weakness, results from us dwelling too much inwardly. Dwelling too much on ourselves, dwelling too much on our difficulties, dwelling too much on our misfortunes, and we're weakened by the feelings of our own helplessness. Let his power and his love take hold, reach out, and touch him. Her faith reflects her thoughts of Jesus, and we could, should have the same degree of faith. Do you really, really believe? Do you? So let's look at the second point what we learn from her faith. Her faith echoes a wonderful thought. How can we come to Jesus? Well, we sing a song about it. Just as I am, we come as we are. We come as we are. Unworthy, unsure, but she was sure of Jesus. And she comes to him in desperation. She may have been fearful. She may have been trembling. I mean, what if she got caught? What if people wouldn't let her get there? I know that I can be healed if I can touch him, but what if the people just will not let me touch him? The crowd was not a hindrance. She found a way. She had her opportunity, and she discovered how to do it. Zacchaeus did the same way. He wanted to see Jesus. He couldn't see him. He found a way. See, there's always a way. There's always. She still comes. The crowd was not a hindrance. She had hoped to hide from it in anonymity. She was kind of hoping that nobody would know so that, you know, it could happen. She knew it was going to happen, but if she could just touch and then, you know, back out of the way, nobody would know. Well, she came. 
became afraid, but she reaches out. You know, sometimes fear makes us run from things. I think we all have a feeling of, what word am I looking for? Worthlessness at times. We feel that uh, if, we're going to, if we're going to come to Jesus, well, we've got to do something. I remember in my younger days, before I really started learning how to do it, and I brought up in church, but I thought, well, if I'm going to be a better Christian, I know what I need to do. What I need to do is I need to learn the Bible. So I took one of them little online Bible courses, you know, that teaches you, you know, how old the Bible is, and how, many, how many years it took to put it all together, and how many writers was in it, and all this kind of stuff. <coughs> if I could just learn all of that, I'm going, to be, I'm going to be worthy enough to even come to Jesus. Or I'm going to learn all the different religions of the world. That was a big waste of time. But I want to know, well, which religion is right? Well, as I said, that was already a waste of time. But still she tries. She comes. Sometimes we want to do something. Fear makes us hide if we feel worthless. We may hide some, you know, sometimes, especially as gentlemen, we don't like to show our weakness and our fear. And so we hide ourselves behind some kind of bravado. But deep down we know, we know. Sometimes we cringe. Sometimes we try to hide. Sometimes we hurt inside. And guys... not beyond us sometimes we cry you know we we, we got to hide it you know we, we don't want to be seen crying in front of other people you know I'm a big macho man I ain't, you ain't gonna catch me crying no we know what it is some private hidden insecurity and there we are and so we try to find ourselves something that will make us worthy but he bids us to come just as we are. Come as you are and put yourself in my hands because I found something out a long time ago. We can never be worthy enough of his grace. That's why it's called grace. It's his grace to us. We don't have to be worthy. He makes us worthy. We don't have to try to be worthy. All the, the grace that he gives, all the goodness that we can ever obtain comes out of that gift of grace. So we come to him just as we are. And it is his touch that makes us whole. The woman reached out, she touched him. It was the touch of him and the power flowed from him to her. And so when we reach out and touch him, then our power comes to him, to us, from him, from his grace. So, now we've known what she saw in Jesus, her perception. We saw how it is that we just come to him as we are. But there's one more. Faith helps us in knowing how to come to him. How to come to him. We reach out 
How can I touch Christ? How can I? It's one thing that that woman long time ago did, but how can I touch him today? He's not walking down the street with a crowd and I can just go out there and touch him. How can I make contact and touch him today? Well, first, give God a chance. Take your problem, whatever it is, to him. You know, we, we used to sing a song, Take It to the Lord in Prayer. Remember that song? Sometimes we need to start taking our problems to the Lord and give them to Him. We worry too much. Sometimes we worry about our children, our grandchildren, our mates, ourselves. We worry about somebody, but did we stop and say, Lord, I'm bringing this person to you? You know, it's, it's not hard to pray for somebody. You ever had a, you ever thought about how long to pray? Have you ever heard anybody say, well, what you need to do is spend an hour in prayer? You ever heard that? Spend an hour in prayer and you'll grow. How in the world can I spend an hour in prayer? When I, you know, a simple prayer, if it lasts more than about two minutes, we start getting nervous and fidgety. Well, take your problems and take all your concerns and all your people and bring them one at a time. Lord, I'm going to bring you first what I've perceived the biggest need, and it's this, and pray about it. And don't say, you know, Lord, bless my family. Okay, that's great, bless my family, but how? Lord, I want you to start, start with Jeff. Jeff is desperate in need of a job. And pray that somewhere out there he's going to find a job. That's worthy of him and that he's worthy of working and he needs it. And you pray for him. Then when you finish, you stop and say, well, Lord, I pray for Erica. Erica's having surgery. She's going to do this. And Lord, I, I know how, how she feels. I know how in the dump she feels, how much fear she's having. And Lord, you know, and just pray for that person. And then go to the next one and go to the next one and go to the next one. And pretty soon you're going to look and you've been on your knees for almost an hour. Your knees are almost numb. But it's okay. A few times like that, they're going to get the strength and the callus that you need. That's how you pray. You reach out and bring your problems to him. Tell him all about it. Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. There's a song about that. Tell it, you know, tell it to him. He wants to hear. And so there are scriptures in there. You, ask, you, you have not because you ask not. Go to him in prayer. Reach out to him. Give him a chance. Hold nothing back. Dare to be honest. There's nobody but you and him. And you can be honest. Lord, you know what I said yesterday that I shouldn't have said. Lord, if you could give me a strength this First, forgive me of saying it and give me the strength that I don't say it again. I'm just using an example. Be specific and take it to him. Hide nothing and be honest. And then believe that when you come to him, he's going to hear you. Believe it. He hears your prayers. And then wait. That's the hardest thing. I am an impatient. My wife, I tell you, I am impatient. I'm a fast food person. Not McDonald's, but I'm a fast food person. 
I like to pull up. I like to get my food. And I like to go either to go home or sit there and eat it. I love Red Lobster food, but I hate going there to eat because you, you, it takes you 30 or 45 minutes before they set you down, another 30 or 45 minutes before they come and get your order, and then another 30 or 45 minutes before they set it down before you to eat. I don't like that. I like instant food. I want it. And that's why we, I, I think we treat the Lord that way. Lord, here's my prayer. Now, where's the answer? Come on. You know, I don't want to wait. I want it now. We're very impatient. There's no saying, I wrote this, I, cannot, I do not know where I got it, I don't know who said it. The person who waits on the Lord loses no time. I wish I could learn that. Because I'm very impatient. Reach out. Touch him. Most of us are thronging around him like the crowd. It's easy to throng around Jesus and never touch him, but it's another thing to trust him in faith and reach out. Not be a member of the crowd. But like Jairus, reach out to him on behalf of somebody else. Or like the woman, reach out to him on her own behalf and patiently wait. And when he speaks, i got to throw this in, and when he speaks... Do what he tells you to do. Sometimes, sitting in search service. Oh, that was a great message. Brother Dennis, you preached a great message the, other, the, the last time you preached. That was great. The Lord spoke to me. But what did you do about it? Uh, nothing. He just spoke to me. And we go home without responding to you know, how he's speaking and what he's challenging us to do. The clue to heaven's help for all the nobodies in desperation is to realize our need, confess it, take it to Jesus, and he offers to lift us up. Burdens are lifted at Calvary. See, I love old, them old hymns. Burdens are lifted at Calvary, and I have enough of my, enough of, get my tongue untied here. I have enough of burdens to bring to him. The burdens are lifted. She touched him. He stopped for, and he'll stop for you if you reach out to him. Don't miss the miracle. The true miracle here, of course, it was the healing. Of course, that's a miracle. But you know what the true miracle was? A sinner's touch of faith and a Savior's touch of grace. That's the miracle that happened. And one final thought. Is that true of our family? One final thought. Remember what I said at the beginning, this woman with an issue of blood and her problem with the church? You see, because of her condition, she was considered unclean, so she was ostracized. And now, what did Jesus call her? After she got healed, after she touched and was healed. And what was Jesus' response to her? In verse 48, and he said to her, Daughter. Be a good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Called her daughter. Now she's a part of the family. The family. Once shunned, the woman in her text is now a part of a great family, the family of God. She belongs. She's included. She's a part of something. She's a somebody. She's a relationship. She's in a relationship. 
She's never have to walk alone again because she's with Jesus. Her suffering, her physically, socially, and spiritual suffering has ended. You know, the question I asked was, is it true of our family? You know, is our church, and, and I'm just throwing this out just to think about, but is our church a place where no one has to walk alone? Where everyone feels wanted, not just by God, but by us? Do we welcome everybody and make them feel like they're a part of us? Do we make where everybody will feel needed or loved? Or do we exclude those who may not be just like us? They're different. You know, they're, they're different economic status. You know, they can be different in so many, so many ways. But is our church a place where we welcome them? Even those we don't understand, even those that don't live up to our expectations, it's only right that everyone who enters our walls will feel like this woman finally felt through Jesus. She's a wanted, loved, needed member. She's a daughter in God's family. Think about that. That's a lot to chew on. But think about that today as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we've listened today to a message about a woman so many years ago who had a unique faith, a faith that was willing to do what needed to be done, anything, and a faith that believed that within you is everything that she needed. All she had to do was to be able to reach out and to touch, and she did. And so, Father, let us learn today the same faith, that you have all that we need. If we can just believe, if we can trust, and if we can reach out. And as we close this sermon today and we close the message today, we ask that you will guide us, fill us, lead us. And if you've spoken to us in some form or fashion, in any way, let us listen. Listen with our ears, listen with our heart, and with our spirit, move and respond. And as we sing this wonderful hymn of invitation, you guide us in Jesus' name. Amen.